From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. Uh, it was almost a necessity at the time because we wanted uh, we wanted our customers to be successful, and so we uh, didn't want them uh, turning all of the knobs because the last thing uh, the, the last thing the industry needed at that time was um, a number of conclusions around you know this technology isn't ready yet. You cannot uh, make good parts with it. Uh, we need to wait uh, a while longer. So. Um, so EOS machines were uh, more locked down uh, for a long time, but recently uh, we've, we've completely turned 180 degrees uh, away from that and, and have enabled customers to use uh, you know, third-party materials, develop their own uh, processing parameters that, uh, that only they use with, uh, with their material specs. And, um, and we're moving more and more in that direction. And- that was Greg Hayes. Greg is the Senior Vice President of Applications at EOS. Greg joins the show to discuss the world of production additive manufacturing from the perspective of an equipment manufacturer. We talk about his career in research and how he joined EOS to help build their consulting group, Additive Minds. All right, Greg. Well, thanks for joining us. Why don't we just start by having you tell the audience a little bit about your background and how you got into the additive manufacturing space. Yeah, perfect. So, um, like I said, Mike, thanks a lot for having me on. It's my uh, my first podcast, so I'm excited to see how this goes. Um, but yeah, where where would you want me to start? Way back at the beginning. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Like, what's uh, your materials engineer by by background? And uh, so I, we've had a lot of materials <laughs> engineers. I think maybe that's a bias of mine being a materials engineer. But yeah, was it? back in, when you were kind of in the academic space that got you in, interested in AM or, or something else along your career path? Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay. I mean, one of the things with when it comes to material science is um, when you study material science, you tend to either lean towards the chemistry of things or lean towards the processing uh, of materials as you go through school. And I think you know, with additive uh, being developed over the past uh, 30, 40 years or so, then it tends to be a lot of people coming through the material science tracks wind up dabbling in some form of additive manufacturing in one way or another uh, as they go. And, um, you know, for me, it was no difference. I, uh, I got into engineering when I was at the University of Delaware. Um, uh, really by no fault of uh, of anyone. It certainly wasn't a plan of mine, but um, my roommates at the time were studying mechanical engineering, and um, I had aspirations of playing soccer in college. Um, my, my mom was a teacher, so I thought maybe I'd do something along teaching. Uh, long story short, I wound up at the University of Delaware with, with really no life plan. Um, decided that I wasn't going to play soccer and, and needed a major. And so my roommates were mechanical engineers, so I became a mechanical engineer because, um, because why not? And um, uh, from there, fast forward a few years and uh, needed to make the next step in my life. I had a few different options. One, uh, one was grad school, of course. I considered going into the workforce uh, as well, and, and I wound up taking a, a, a PhD position at Penn State uh, in the material science program over there. So I actually switched from mechanical engineering to material science. And um, the funding that we had when I was at Penn State was for 
a, um, a surgical instrument development program with the NIH. And uh, we were all focused on making uh, surgical instruments for something called notes surgery, which is uh, natural orifice uh, endoscopic surgery. And um, these things were, you know, more or less like a small Swiss army knife uh, on the end of a long uh, endoscope that the doctors could utilize and um, how to uh, select the materials, develop the materials for these things, and then process the materials is what, uh, what we were working on. And at the time, there was no good processing uh, methodology. So we you know, uh, explored some uh, some casting uh, techniques. We explored some 3D printing uh, techniques at the time, and um, really nothing existed. So what me and a few other people did is we actually invented um, uh, a special kind of, of 3D printing while at Penn State where we would use lithography molds from the semiconductor industry, and we would um, uh, like injection uh, fill these molds to uh, with a slurry or a paste of uh, of a powder material. So we were making instruments uh, in this way. Um, they were multi-layer molds, so we called it uh, 3D manufacturing, of course. Um, and that was really my uh, my start getting into additive technologies and kind of you know exploring uh, better ways to do things and um, uh, other ways to uh, to process uh, to process materials. Um, yeah, you know, from there, uh, after graduating, I went and took a job at a, an organization called TNO in the Netherlands. Um, it's a, a government-funded, well, partially government-funded, partially privately funded uh, research organization. And um, when I was there, I was uh, a kind of more of a general engineer working on a number of projects, and I worked my way up through, uh, through the management ranks over at TNO. And um, halfway through my uh, career over there, I kind of got back into uh, additive manufacturing. And um, they were working on a number of research projects, uh, which involved either new materials, a lot of new polymer materials, uh, a lot for the dental industry, and also um, new machines. So uh, thinking of you know using light in uh, in special ways to make new additive machines. So I kind of started in additive manufacturing, got out of it for a little bit, and then at TNO got back into it um, and uh, helped set up a number of research programs uh, there. And um, after that, uh, ended up joining EOS. So I moved from the Netherlands then back to America, uh, to Austin, Texas, and been there for the last couple of years. And what was the decision-making process to go to TNO? I mean, it's... Uh, I'm sure you've had a lot of opportunities in, in the U.S., but having that kind of European experience is certainly valuable. What different insights or things were you looking to gain by going to yeah. another one? So it's, um, it's a little bit of a personal story. So um, like all major uh, life decisions, it involved a girl at the time. <laughs> and um, I was looking for, uh, for a way to kind of live and, and work in, uh, in Europe. Uh, actually, I was looking for a way to live and work in Germany, um, uh, where uh, her and her family were uh, were living. I had previously done an internship um, uh, in Germany, and uh, I was trying to contact the people that I did the internship with, which was a university along with the uh, the Fraunhofer Institute. And um, it just wasn't, uh, it didn't work out. They didn't have uh, a space available in the time frame that, uh, that I was looking for. 
and um, uh, through, a, through a few different uh, networks that I had, I found out about ENO, which I had never heard of before, but was, a, was the Netherlands kind of version of the Fraunhofer Institute. And um, it seemed interesting, seemed like I'd give it a shot. And so, um, yeah, put all my stuff in a boat and headed over and uh, tried to make the best of it. And I was there for, uh, for almost seven years, I think. So it was, a, it was a great time. I still miss it. I still have a lot of friends uh, over there as well. And how did you get introduced to EOS or what was, how, where did that start? Yeah. So while I, uh, while I was at TNO, like I said, I got back into, uh, into additive manufacturing and we were setting up a number of, uh, of research programs. And one of the things uh, that the Netherlands in particular um, uh, really tries to stress and what we were working on was this concept of, open innovation or shared research. Um, so bringing together um, uh, different companies uh, uh, in a value chain um, that are non-competitive uh, to pool resources and speed up uh, R&D. So it's, uh, it was, we were using uh, government money and private money to kind of um, uh, enhance R&D uh, efforts. So we, uh, TNO in particular, did this uh, in the flexible electronics uh, space uh, rather successfully. We were trying to build this up or did build this up as well uh, in the additive manufacturing space. And so part of that effort in, entailed uh, reaching out and uh, networking and collaborating with uh, all of the major players in, uh, in the world of 3D printing. And of course, um, EOS was uh, uh, known at that time. And so... I ended up getting in touch with uh, with them. Uh, the original conversation was about uh, them joining our uh, research program in the Netherlands, and um, I still remember talking to uh, Hannes Gosner and and some of the higher level people inside of the CTO organization uh, in Munich at EOS, uh, trying to convince them uh, that they should come and join a research uh, program that I was building up at uh, at TNO. Little did I know at that time, uh, <laughs> years later, that we would be uh, colleagues and talking uh, and working together. And um, yeah, it was. It was uh, we didn't have a ton of uh, of contact with uh, with EOS, but of course, I I knew all the people over there. And um, at the research uh, organization in the Netherlands, we had an EOS uh, machine, of course, and. Um, one of the things that, uh, that I've done in, in my life, uh, which has really been a constant theme, is I've always had a bit of a, an entrepreneurial uh, edge uh, to some of the activities that I like to do. And so um, I've started a few companies uh, throughout the years. Uh, some of them are uh, spin-out technologies from, uh, from organizations that I worked, for example, like uh, TNO. And... Um, uh, so me and, and a few friends, uh, we had this idea that we always wanted to do was to start a uh, consulting company in additive manufacturing. And so we realized that there was a huge need uh, to explain the benefits of additive to uh, companies in different industries, you know, help them uh, uh, navigate the kind of confusing landscape uh, between what's possible, uh, how can you really wrap uh, a good cost model around what you want to build, um, and really try to make these companies uh, successful. So we had this idea uh, to start a kind of additive manufacturing consulting uh, group, me and a few other uh, colleagues. <clears throat> and as we were building together this, um, uh, 
this kind of business plan, and it was coming together quite nicely, I have to admit. Um, I was contacted by a, uh, a headhunter um, who put me back in touch um, with some of the old people that I knew from EOS. And, and turns out at EOS, they were uh, starting and, and maturing this concept uh, called the Additive Minds Group, which was effectively a consulting group helping uh, companies <laughs> ramp up their additive manufacturing uh, capabilities. And they were interested in having someone um, uh, kind of start this group in North America and, uh, and lead it over here. And that was a conversation that I started having with them about, uh, you know, how I could do this and, and uh, what plans I may have uh, with such a challenge. And um, it, was a, it was a really kind of uh, opportune time because uh, I had just created my own business plan of how exactly I would do this, just not under the umbrella of, uh, of EOS, but on my own. So I thought, why, um, uh, why be independent when I can have the support and the backing of a major uh, OEM player? And so I joined forces with EOS and uh, put myself back on a boat and moved to Texas. And from the EOS standpoint, I mean, they've been manufacturing machines and a t t the top player, or the, at least a top top two player in, in both the metals and polymer space for a number of years. What was the, what were they seeing in terms of, and, and you seeing yourself in terms of the need for additional resources to help customers? Was it along kind of the buy versus outsource to a service bureau model or what, what was the like what types of questions kept coming up that so like hey like why don't we invest some money into a, a consulting company or, or something under uh, our yeah. umbrella i think i mean some of the original questions which which are still relevant today is is really just um uh, relying on identifying uh, applications which have good promise so um you know, these can be things in this in the spare part side of companies. Can be things uh, more on the development side in the R and D space. But um, there, there was uh, for a long a number of years a huge challenge in just application development. And um, we saw that uh, uh, when I was working in the Netherlands, um, uh, it was definitely part of our uh, business plan, uh, thinking about creating this consulting group. Um, and I think EOS uh, just in parallel saw that as well. And um, uh, one of the things that all uh, 3D printer OEMs do is is uh, they all run something along the lines of of what's called a benchmarking uh, program, where you know they print a prototype or sample parts for companies that are thinking of uh, of stepping into this space. And I think if I understand the story correctly, from the EOS standpoint, they um, they saw a number of these benchmarks come through, which really needed, uh, you know, a, a little bit of tweaking uh, and with a little bit of uh, of knowledge about the technology, change these applications from what could be a nice showpiece into, you know, what really could be a money-making uh, venture. By things like, uh, how do you orientate the part in a better way to print it? Um, uh, asking questions like, is this part of a larger assembly and we can uh, decrease the total number of parts, uh, save money in, uh, in assembly costs uh, down the line? Um, how, how do the support structures uh, work with, uh, with this component in particular? And what does the post-processing landscape look like? Um, all of these type of things. And at EOS, they, uh, there was a number of engineers uh, working in this benchmarking uh, space. And I think they just started um, 
turning these benchmarking engagements, you know, basically into small engineering projects. And, um, and that was the birth of, uh, of the Additive Minds group inside of EOS. And that's also uh, a lot of the same types of projects that, uh, that we were doing in the Netherlands uh, as well. So it was, it was, everyone was working on uh, these type of things uh, at the time, which I think makes sense. And still to this day, it's, uh, it's relevant because there's a, there's a wide range of knowledge and experience when it comes to additive out there in uh, different industries today. And so some need uh, more hand-holding uh, than others, but um, yeah, it's, it's still a growing field and, and still has a lot of work that, uh, that needs to be done. So when you you go back to to starting the Additive Minds Group, you're um, and you presumably have to to build the team and, and start to address some of these customer problems and kind of build a business and and implement your business plan. What were you looking for in terms of the the people that you were kind of bringing on your team or having joined the team, like to to really get that engagement with the customer? Because you have all like you were saying all these issues with um, adoption of different levels of adoption for, for customers, different levels of projects. Is it part orientation? Is it some materials? Is it benchmarking? So you have all these things coming together and, and certainly EOS inherently has a deep kind of bench with machine understanding, materials understanding. So how do you, how did you put all that together? Yeah, that's, uh, that's right. It's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting problem. The, how we started, so the uh, the Additive Minds Group existed in uh, in the EOS headquarters in Kryling, right? And so when I joined and moved to Texas, I was bringing this um, this concept uh, with me uh, to a small team of of engineers. I, I think it was around uh, eight people uh, at the time that were working in North America, which were they were still doing, you know, more or less the the benchmarking um, uh, process. And um, when <clears throat> we started talking about uh, this concept of how can we help uh, customers uh, further and, and how can we, you know, really be a partner uh, with customers that want to step into additive manufacturing, uh, not just, you know, sell them a machine or a material or a piece of software uh, and say good luck. And so the, uh, the maturity path and plan was um, uh, was kind of obvious uh, to all of us. So we had to uh, come up with some sort of uh, scalable way to interact with customers that were assessing uh, different applications. And that spawned um, uh, a number of, uh, of programs and thought methodologies around uh, part selection. So looking at product portfolios, um, we had to uh, engage with them in some uh, very meaningful way in a uh, cost calculation tool. So thinking about um, what goes into really a business case and um, how can they make money with our technology. So there's a number of, uh, <coughs> of tools that we've developed then to help them further with that. And in all of the engagements with customers, we, you know, we just wrapped everything into uh, a small project that we would do with them. At the end of the project, we would assess uh, how it went, you know, positive results, negative results, things are looking good. Okay, let's take the next step. Um, after a business case and a, and a part was uh, was selected, we usually uh, did something around quality. So uh, nowadays, uh, we have a number of quality programs uh, developed, so operational uh, or production uh, qualification. 
and, and thinking and looking into uh, statistical process control and, and really using all of the tools that are available to us um, from an EOS standpoint, like uh, a lot of the monitoring technologies and things like that, wrapping them into the project and, um, uh, and you know, really just taking them uh, from step one to uh, up and running with, uh, with production. And as the, as the group has grown, uh, grown bigger over the years, so we have around, uh, I think nowadays is around 30, uh, 30 people. Um, and we do a, a significant amount of, uh, of revenue, of turnover ourselves as well. And um, uh, we're pretty proud of that fact. And, and different things keep getting added to, uh, to the table. And so um, uh, one of the things that we start working on more and more is uh, new material uh, development. So working with third party materials and helping customers uh, work out the processing parameters uh, for a unique or, or customized uh, blend of a material that they're trying to use for a special application. Um, another thing that we work on a lot is is partnerships with uh, with software companies. So how can um, how can you know a simulation software uh, be incorporated into uh, a company's plan for using additive in a production uh, standpoint? So we do a, a lot of partnership work. We're more heavily now involved in uh, in funded projects than we ever were in the past. So whether it be Department of Defense or um, or America Makes uh, contracts, we're always uh, looking to join into those type of uh, of research engagements. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. And um, and most recently, we've we spent a lot of time focused on educating uh, the market because um, we believe that that's truly uh, a way that uh, that we can help the industry uh, scale much faster than um, than it is today is just making sure that a lot of the engineers out there you know know that uh, that additive manufacturing exists and um, and know how to use it and so uh, we've developed uh, together with some uh, universities and uh, and with some other groups uh, a whole uh, host of uh, of courses and um, uh, really a, an education program uh, which we are rolling out and so um, we're super excited about that and and proud to uh, to see it take off and um, yeah that's is, uh, the latest. And what's the target of those those courses is it more practicing engineers or people in in university coming up through through the ranks um, it's uh, it's really both. So um, what we're starting with is a um, a series of uh, courses which are aimed at uh, engineers uh, that are working uh, now and are wondering if additive manufacturing is uh, is right for them. So it's a lot of uh, introductory level uh, coursework, uh, quick uh, quick dives into things like design for additive manufacturing uh, overviews of the technology with um, that we provide also rough uh, business case analysis for them to uh, to think about how the technology might be applicable for them so uh, on the one hand we uh, we do a lot of kind of uh, introductory trainings and we we're really trying to do this in a scalable way so we we developed this thing called uh, the Additive Minds uh, Academy, um, which has a series of, uh, of online courses, which are kind of um, uh, mixed, uh, mixed reality. So some are, uh, some are in person, some are 
typical, uh, you know, digital e-learning uh, type course. Uh, there's videos involved and, uh, and quizzes and things like that. Um, but we can really roll that out in a scalable way. So um, that's kind of more spreading the word and, and educating the masses. That's one, uh, one avenue that this uh, Additive Minds Academy is taking. Um, the, second, uh, the second path is training and, uh, and retraining engineers which are already using our technology. So we have a whole uh, curriculum built up on uh, you know, high-level uh, high user uh, trainings for EOS systems. So uh, everything from basic uh, how do you use an M290 or a P396 to, um, uh, to more advanced uh, data preparation methodologies, um, moving through uh, uh, any process development things and things like that. So um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, is that clear? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, uh, I'm excited about the second one in the sense that there's so many opportunities to optimize the process, optimize the machines. Yeah. In my first introduction to 3D printing was with a EOS P110 back in the day. And like mm -hmm. we were lucky it was an academic institution. So we were at an open platform and could do some of the parameter development. But I think, um, do you see a trend with kind of it seems like with starting that training and getting people more more engaged in in almost the weeds or like really technical into the machine usage do you see a, a yeah, stronger demand yeah. for that like you have to i'm guessing you kind of i mean and maybe you can argue with me in terms of what here's my perception of eos in terms of of the industry like you guys make very high quality repeatable machines um geared towards production and you kind of install them in a facility and and within the kind of bounds that you you give the user they'll they'll produce parts pretty repeatedly and then like that gets that probably gets like 80 to 90 percent of where people are in the industry right now and then mm -hmm. but you have these kind of super users or people that are more advanced and know the technology a little bit better and know the parts they're trying to make where you could give them extra functionality even from the start but you kind of have to lead a lead a horse to water almost and kind of give give more and more access as, as, as no exactly so, so eos is 30 years old it's um it's sometimes amazing to remember that uh, that fact and and really, um, we have fought uh, tooth and nail for the past, uh, let's say, seven years uh, or ten years, to prove that we are indeed an uh, an open platform. Because the truth is, uh, thirty years ago, and and um, maybe twenty years ago, when the uh, technology was uh, much more immature and not as widespread as it is today, uh, EOS was uh, a, a more locked down uh, system. And like you said, it's, uh, uh, it was almost a necessity at the time because we wanted, uh, we wanted our customers to be successful. And so we uh, didn't want them uh, turning all of the knobs because the last thing, uh, the, the, last thing the industry needed at that time was um, a number of conclusions around, you know, this technology isn't ready yet. You cannot uh, make good parts with it. Uh, we need to wait uh, a while longer. So... Um, so EOS machines were uh, more locked down uh, for a long time, but recently uh, we've we've completely turned 180 degrees 
uh, away from that and and have enabled customers to use uh, you know third-party materials, develop their own uh, processing parameters that uh, that only they use with uh, with their material spec, and, um, and we're moving more and more in that direction. And in order to do that, we need uh, proper training and and uh, and uh, you know just proper guidance for our customers to uh, to let them be successful without turning every engineering uh, uh, project you know into a PhD uh, project and um, especially with a lot of the new systems uh, that are coming on the market now like um, I don't know the exact number but uh, the m300 for example is, is currently rolling out and um, uh, you know, this has uh, multiple lasers, which can uh, have a lot of variations uh, and combinations between them in terms of uh, laser power, spot size, uh, things like that. And they can, uh, these lasers can play with each other. They can interact uh, independently uh, on the on the bed. And um, if you add together all of the variations that you that you get, I mean, it's uh, hundreds of thousands of combinations <laughs> that uh, of different knobs you can turn. Uh, to make your part uh, in the best way, and so with all of these tools that are available now, it really uh, it really takes a concerted effort on uh, on training engineers, showing them what's possible, sharing with them uh, things that that we have done as EOS, but also realizing that um, you know we as EOS we don't test all of the different combinations, and um, and we also don't pretend to. We want to enable our uh, our customers to. Uh, to use the machine and kind of take it to the next level. So now we are uh, now we're open, maybe even too open uh, sometimes. <laughs> the O stands for open now, right? <laughs> the O stands for open now. Yeah, uh, it's a stigma that we that everyone inside of the US is is uh, pushing back against. It's a daily battle. Yeah. But I think at the same time, you're exactly right in the sense that a lot of customers don't want that. I mean, there's people just starting their first investment in a million dollar machine i mean they want it to work and even if it's in a constrained amount of, of mm -hmm. parameters and they want to get parts out um first few weeks that, that they're operating and i think it takes some time to get the the folks that are using the machine to up and up to speed and thinking about different ways there's there's probably a delicate balance there yeah exactly and and you know if you just look at uh, if you look at an M290 and a super common material like aluminum silicon 10 mag, and uh, you know, as different different customers will ask us, like, you know, um, is your data sheet showing properties uh, for aluminum silicon 10 mag which are lower than what other companies are have shown? And uh, and if that's true, why do you claim that uh, that you can uh, get better properties out of uh, out of this material and uh, and can you use uh, third-party uh, aluminums inside of your machine? And how do you uh, how do you go about doing that? And the answer to all of those questions, uh, your point, is basically yes. Like um, because we have to develop a a, a standard broad brush uh, uh, exposure parameter set for uh, for aluminum silicon 10 mag for the um, for the generic customer. Um, which is then, you know, not optimized uh, in any uh, in any way, shape, or form, other than uh, stability and and repeatability. So, um, you know, you can then you can take that and and tweak things like improved uh, surface finish. But whenever you tweak something, you usually give something up. So, you know, do you want 
improved surface finish or do you want to run the system uh, as fast as possible uh, to reduce your build time you know do you want uh, uh, do you want to use uh, high strength aluminum materials uh, which uh, which are mixing in some uh, exotic elements uh, into the build or do you want uh, the lowest possible uh, powder price uh, for your business case and these are all trade-offs that are really interesting discussions and and really um, uh, I have confidence in the market today because I see customers starting to ask these um, uh, more thought through questions about how to best use this technology for their applications. But yeah. And, and I suppose, yeah. And, and I think you probably sit in a really unique position within the company where you're involved or at least aware of a number of different customer projects, things from what's going on. And you hear some of these overlapping uh, either questions, problems, and as well as kind of, I'm imagining the the feedback from the folks designing the machine back in in Germany and across the U.S. too of all these different conversations. Conversation you see what's coming coming down the road in two three years, yep. but also kind of where where is the rubber meeting the road now and and bringing that back to internal conversations. So I've been down to the awesome facility once, and I'm, you guys have an amazing site there. And but I'm guessing just the the conversations around the office or what, <laughs> when people used to go to an office and, and, and <laughs> mingle. But I mean, I think the, that insight is probably just so valuable in terms of. Yeah. And, and, um, I mean, I think that, uh, that my job and, and I think that the, the additive minds team in, in EOS is, it's one of the best jobs in additive manufacturing out there. I, I really, uh, truly do believe that. I know I've tried for uh, for four years now to get you to join forces with me, Mike. So um, <laughs> maybe I can twist your arm uh, a little bit further. But but it really is cool because um, this team of engineers, you know, they see everything from uh, from interacting with the university, teaching you know new students what is this technology all about, uh, to working with uh, the major aerospace and automotive uh, uh, companies and OEMs of the world. So, you know, the Boeings, the Fords, the GMs, the Blue Origins uh, uh, of the world, and uh, and seeing what problems uh, these type of companies uh, are facing, uh, to, you know, just to, to working on fun projects. Like um, about a year ago, we did a whole, uh, a whole project um, with the Discovery Channel, uh, building an Ironman uh, suit for Mythbusters. And that was um, uh, that was just really fun and uh, and something really cool uh, to do and, and to see. And if you uh, one of the things I really enjoy doing when when the office was open and I'm, I'm missing it now is just walking around and looking at the desks of all of the different team members because um, you know there there are parts on the desk which are uh, which are built to kind of look at uh, at new procedures and new possibilities. There's uh, there's parts uh, uh, kept in our in our secret uh, closets uh, for customer development uh, uh, things, and there's there's just uh, fun parts. They're always uh, scattered uh, scattered around the office. So you know, the the airless footballs and the and the golf clubs and the bike parts and the and the the things that the engineers that know this technology the best build for fun to make their lives and their uh, jobs easier. So it's uh, it's really cool to see. Absolutely. And, and how has, I mean, the pandemics and in 
impacted everyone, but are there any thoughts that you have and you've observed over the last few months that will continue to, to change or impact the, the 3D printing space? Yeah, I mean, so as a, as a company, uh, I would say that um, we've seen some of our customers uh, really struggle with, um, with the economic downturn uh, that's currently going on. And, and at the same time, we've seen other uh, customers, um, you know, really blossom and, uh, and tend to grow, uh, grow a lot. I mean, the, a lot of the aerospace uh, companies that not commercial flight, but um, more military focused are, are really taking off and doing some really impressive uh, and really impressive work. So as a company, we've had to uh, pivot uh, a little bit uh, just with uh, with other customers, um, you know, popping to the top of our uh, of our key accounts uh, list, which has been a really interesting thing to observe. Um, as a, as a company ourselves, um, you know, I run a pretty uh, uh, a pretty I don't know how to say that. <laughs> no one that works on my team has a nine to five uh, job. I think that's uh, that's a fair. Statement. Lean is the the business school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lean lean is a great word. So you know, and they um uh, uh, so people on my team are are constantly uh, traveling around uh, uh, to different customers. They continue to uh, to do that um, uh, during the uh, even today. So. Um, you know, only for customers uh, that are uh, that are considered. Um, uh, oh, what's it called uh, the word essential? Yeah, only for these uh, for these essential customers, and so um, that continues to happen. And um, uh, they still run the machines uh, in our offices, and and a lot of things we can do uh, we can do remote. So, in terms of watching the builds and uh, and trying to set up uh, set up different builds. I think um, one of the things that we uh, were working on for a long time, but really got pushed to the front, was uh, was this Additive Minds Academy educational uh, push. And so um, we had ideas, and we're playing with um, uh, with augmented reality uh, for a long time in terms of improving our machine training. So um, uh, you know, making it possible for an engineer in any company to kind of, you know, with their own uh, iPhone or with their own computer uh, sitting in front of the machine uh, to watch someone, uh, to watch an expert user uh, use the system have, and then have their device, uh, you know, recognize and walk them in a step-by-step way through uh, how to use the system in a better way. So that's something we were playing with for a long time. And um, uh, since, uh, since COVID-19, that's really, uh, been pushed to the forefront and uh, uh, something that we uh, hope to roll out here soon over the uh, next so, month. So like if, you, if you're doing a, uh, some sort of, a, I don't know if it's repair is the right word, or <clears throat> like a, a maintenance operation, you could call up EOS and put on put your iPhone up to the, the screen or the, the circuit box on the back and then they'd be able to walk you through. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, so, the, so cool. um, uh, think of, uh, well, I don't know, think of, you know, changing the, uh, the recoder inside of the system, you know, what are all the steps uh, required to do that? And you can, 
uh, you'd be able to pull up a, a pre-recorded video uh, and watch someone do this in a step-by-step -step way, just like you uh, could do for many things today on, uh, on YouTube or something like that. Uh, but in addition to that, you could uh, take your phone uh, using the camera feature of your phone and point it at your system. And what, um, what this technology allows you to do is uh, the camera will recognize, um, you know, this is uh, the recoder uh, arm. It'll point out to you uh, where all of the uh, different bolts are and, and what the steps are that you need to do. You know, first, uh, first open the door. It can walk you through, um, uh, through the software steps as well as, you know, where to position things um, uh, to make sure the job is, uh, is complete. And it can also check um, uh, because it's using the camera to recognize the state of your of your machine. It can also check to make sure that you've you know actually done that step before uh, before moving on uh, to the next step. So it's um, it's not virtual reality. It's it's augmented reality, and um, it really is helpful uh, for uh, for small things like that, and uh, allows for a better experience and. Um, but it has to be done uh, in the right way because we don't want to create the, uh, you know, a, a hokey uh, engagement that's, um, that's more trouble than it's worth. So um, we spend a lot of time in, in trying to develop these things. Interesting. No, that's, that's really cool. I mean, I wish I had something like that 10 years ago. And just the little details of it as well, you know, um, Instead of instead of recording someone with uh, with a camera as they work on the machine, uh, you know we've done things like uh, implement um, uh, point of view glasses, like the Hololens, for example. So we have our engineers wear a Hololens, so you can see uh, what they see and see uh, you know where their hands uh, are moving as they look and inspect uh, inspect the system. And then in the video, because it's augmented reality, you, you know you can highlight different things and. Uh, put notes and arrows and pop outs and things like that. It's, it's really, uh, it really is powerful um, if it's done correctly. Yeah, it sounds like it. And so as we kind of get to the end of, of the conversation today, I mean, presumably you don't have to be an EOS customer to engage you at Additive Minds. What's, um, how do people contact you? What, what do you, like, what's a, a typical pathway for a project to come across your desk? Um, yeah, so um, I mean, we're contactable uh, in many different ways. You can uh, you can find us just uh, on the eos.info uh, website. Um, I believe there's even an additiveminds.com uh, website, which will lead you back to the EOS uh, website. So um, you can contact us that way. Uh, you can contact uh, anyone on the team or myself uh, directly as as well. And um, I don't know if you're going to link uh, uh, anything in this. Yeah, we'll throw we'll throw all the links up. So yeah, so, so um, for sure, reach out. Uh, more than fifty percent of our um, of people that we do projects with are not EOS customers, um, uh, and we're really proud of that fact because um, you know we firmly believe that people should understand what they're doing before they. Um, uh, spend a, a lot of money uh, in a in a capital expenditure uh, purchase. Um, you know, it needs to be worthwhile for their business. And um, at the same time that uh, that we want them to explore the technology, we also uh, firmly believe that there are many ways uh, to use this across many industries. So um, please come uh, uh, come try it with the Additive Minds team. We'll work with you and um, and make it a success. Well, Greg, thank you very much. And 
we'll look forward to talking to you soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. We'll talk soon.